From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Gary Putnick. we got a lot to talk about tonight. FSU men's basketball suffered a tough loss in Chapel Hill over the weekend. Women's basketball secured a four seed in the ACC tournament. FSU baseball is in a dark, dark place right now. And we're just about, uh, we've just about made it to the NBA uh, All-Star Game. And we'll talk about that and much, much more during tonight's show. But first, as always, I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Austin Reynolds. Austin, how about that Hawks-Heat game last night? I, I was actually not watching it. I was just following along on Twitter. And uh, I, I did see that John Collins had a 19-point third quarter. So doing a lot for himself in possible extension talks with the Hawks, or at least uh, giving himself uh, a good resume heading into free agency. But uh it's really just the same story. Like John Collins said in his postgame interview, we get, we are competitive in the fourth, but we just can't close games out. And that is honestly a large part of why Lloyd Pierce, the head coach, was fired today. Uh, I, I, we're going to get into it maybe a, a little bit later, but like that is the biggest, that, that's the most damning aspect of his coaching is that injury, like injuries are what they are, but he just could not fit the rotations to uh, give the Hawks a fighting chance late in games. You know, my little brother sent me a video last night during that game. He was talking about John Collins, yeah. and it was a video of him and Trey Young sitting down on the couch, and uh, there it's like a, kind of like a couple's kind of questionnaire kind of thing. <laughs> and he says, if I could go play in one other place, obviously, other than Atlanta, where would I go play? And Trey Young guesses Miami, and he's like, you're right. Oh, my God. So, He's coming to Miami, don't worry. He We're, better not, man. He, he I, I, might I get not. him at the trade deadline. I, I don't want him to be in the division, man. Whoops. They probably wouldn't do that just because of the yeah. division kind right, of thing. Right. That's the only reason why. But still, we'll talk a little bit more about the Hawks situation in just a bit. But uh, we, also, we also have Sebastian Angeliano on the show with us tonight. Sebastian, how would you enjoy your five-hour stay at Dickhauser Stadium yesterday? Uh, before the show, you called it a vacation. I was thinking more like penitentiary. <laughs> um it really, it, it, Florida State baseball was down bad this weekend. Let's just let's just put it like that. They were down bad. Um, a three-game sweep against Pitt. Pitt is now six and one, um, which is a great start and matches last season's start where they went ten and one, I believe. Um, Pitt's a good, good baseball team. Good, good baseball team. Um, for, uh, their head coach is former Florida State pitching coach. I'm blanking on Mike the name. Bell. Mike, Mike Bell. Yeah. Yeah, and did you know he has a brick on at Westcott? Really? They mentioned that they mentioned that like ten times during the broadcast this weekend. <laughs> Every single game they mentioned it as like, we get it. He has a brick. You know what? <laughs> I do remember seeing. So uh, for those of you at home, uh, the way the the Dickhauser or the Mike Martin Field uh, press box is set up, there is a TV behind where I usually sit. And I looked back, and they were talking about Westcott bricks, and I was like, wait a minute, this is this is ACC Network. Yep. Why are they talking about bricks? And that's probably it. I wasn't exactly. really paying attention to that. I was paying attention to uh, the game, which was, if I want to be completely honest, a good game up until the closest moments, which were where Florida State really had to get it done. Uh, they could not for the life of them, quite literally. Uh, the high point of the game happened early with uh, Elijah Capel's moonshot. The monster shot. <laughs> it's just... Um, I've been to plenty of baseball games. I've been to I've been covering Florida State baseball for four years. That's the loudest hit ball I've heard in my life. Full stop. And I've been to I've been to um, Marlins Park. I've been to Tropicana Field where it's actually indoors, so it shouldn't be louder. But it, no, that was the and and where there's you know, I hate to bring it up, but the attendance stuff and and it's usually like an echoey stadium. No, no, no. 
Dick Hauser is home to the loudest shot I've heard in my life, and it came off of an aluminum bat, no less. It sounded like wood, ladies and gentlemen, I swear. I got We got some other stats to give about that home run. It was 489 feet, 114 exit velocity. We'll get, to, we'll get to that in a little bit as we get to baseball after the bas- uh, basketball talk, but... We also are joined by Max Rundy in the station here tonight. First time on the in the actual studio for a show. Max, you can turn on the light in there if you'd like. I know it's pretty dark. I'm <laughs> I'm looking there. That. He's sitting in the fish tank in the dark, and I was like, I can't. I can barely see him right now. But Max, how does it feel being back in the station? I know you said you were you've been here one time before. That was obviously before the pandemic hit us all in literally a year, almost a year ago now. Yeah. But does it just like you remembered it? It is just just as chaotic as I remember. It is nonstop drawings and scribbles all over the place. I love it. It's so unique and different. Yeah, well, like there's, there's there's so much personality. Like so you, much. You, you you can look at any section of this uh, this station and see like which which uh, department is most pre- most predominant there. So it, there's just so much to take in when you walk in for the first time. Exactly. And Max is behind a glass uh, window right now. And even on that window to see him, there's just a million drawings on just writings on that. There's like a little dinosaur in the corner here. Somebody wrote their name, a bunch of other stickers and such on that wall there. But yeah, we got a lot to talk about tonight. We got let's get to some some men's basketball, some FSU men's basketball because they had a pretty interesting week. They started off on a midweek game against Miami. They smoked the Hurricanes. Granted, the Hurricanes were greatly depleted yes. in that game. They did not have any like they were. I mean, was it they had six or seven guys that were scholarship players able to play in that game? Mm-hmm. You probably could have put together a better roster by just going around the streets of Miami and finding guys to play in this game for pickup. But the Hurricanes, they did not fare too well against the Seminoles, and they ended up dropping the game 88-71. to I know it got a little bit closer there at the end as the Green Vipers and the guys came in. It was the Green Vipers featuring Quincy Ballard. Yeah. But they decided to take it to... Leonard Hamilton's old school or old uh, stomping grounds down there in Coral Gables. But Max, we'll start off with you. What did you really see out of this game, out of that game? Uh, it was, it was what I expected. My friend he told me we were watching something else at the time. He's like, we got to turn on Miami. And I was like, dude, that game's gonna be a blowout. <laughs> and it was exactly what I expected. We were, FSU just played better start to finish, all sides of the floor. And Miami, they're just. They just can't do it right now with the little amount of talent and bodies they really have out there. Exactly. And as we say that, they're down 43-30 to in the second half against UVA. So they're not faring too well. But they had that easy game there. I don't know if you really saw anything different than what we saw, Austin. That was a pretty clean, cut-and-dry kind of game there. Nothing too much to go into. But still, the next game on Saturday, that was the big game of the weekend. They We mentioned it. It was a trap game. I, Austin, I'm pretty sure you, you were the I one did. that said it. And you were right. I mean, they got caught in a trap because that first half, they looked so good. They had a 16, up to a 16-point lead. UNC had somewhere near 14 turnovers, and FSU had 19 points off those turnovers in that first half, whereas FSU only turned the ball over about five, four to five times. And then the second half came around and everything changed and FSU just started scrambling and they did not look as focused. Yeah, it just did not look like cohesive basketball whatsoever. I mean, the broadcasters were saying that it was a tale of two halves early in the second half, honestly, just because the volume of turnovers that FSU was committing was so shocking. And that's exactly what it was. UNC was turning the ball over a lot in the first half and that allowed FSU to get out to that 16-point lead. But it only took 
four or five minutes, thanks to FSU turnovers, for UNC to completely erase that margin uh, and tie the game early in the second half. So FSU just never really found its footing after that. The shooting went cold. I think they shot like 31% in the second half as a, as a whole. Uh, that is obviously not going to win you ball games against a uh, a great North Carolina team that isn't ranked right now, but is is a contender in the ACC. Okay, you say great. I, 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 define I, I, great because we we had. I, I knew you were going to take issue with that. We word. saw what they how they performed earlier in that week. They lost to Marquette. They lost at to, home. They Marquette. Lost to Marquette. Yeah, but maybe great wasn't the best choice of words. But great the, is a really tough word to use for an eight and five, or was that a fifteen and eight team? It, it, it is a Roy Williams coached UNC game. They're a tough UNC team. They're, I think they're, a tough they're, they're team is a tough, way to. They are a tough team to beat. It is tough to win on the road. In the ACC that is that, that maybe that's as far as I should go yes tough <laughs> tough I'll give you that because any road game in the ACC especially when you're going up to UNC I know it's not the same kind of atmosphere yeah. in the Dean Dome as it usually is yeah, and, and, and that was their first game with fans I think yeah. they had like 3,000 in, atten- in attendance so, maybe. yeah so, so about what FSU has been yeah. having for their home games but like I was there two years ago for the last time FSU traveled up to Chapel Hill and I mean that place is wild. That fit, yeah. that place can seat up to close close to twenty thousand people, or a little bit over that. And it's it's just an amazing atmosphere to take in a basketball game. But Max, was there anything else that you saw out of this game? Because there really are there are there are some issues, but I don't think it's I don't think it's worth being just blown out of proportions right now. I will say the one thing we've talked about on this show a lot was our three point defense. I think a big reason for our inability to keep this lead this past weekend was the three-point shooting we or FSU was bad very bad Walker 0 for 3 polite one of the best shooters in all of college basketball two for six Evans and Calhoun combined two of nine from deep you you just got to make some of those shots and then when you're not taking free throws like they are they took almost they took double the amount of free throws we had or FSU had it was you just the shooting splits need to improve. I I agree, and even the free throw. I mean FSU they, it was uh, UNC had thirty attempts, Florida State had twenty. FSU was sixty five percent from free throw line, and UNC was ninety percent. I mean, when you have a greater volume of shots being put up from the charity stripe, and FSU isn't making any of their shots, even though they do have less, it's still putting you at a deficit. I mean, if you just make four more shots, maybe it's in a bigger game. But still, one thing that I noticed huge difference in the first half to the second half is FSU being able to get points in the paint. I mean, yes. it felt like Raekwon Gray and Balsico Provizo were neutralized in that second half. They just could not find their way down the lane. I noticed that as well. And I mean, with Raekwon Gray in particular, we were just talking about free throws. He was not the greatest free throw shooter that day either. And I mean, Scotty Barnes, uh, th- those are the two players that I distinctly noticed were... Uh, not having the best day when it come when it came to free throw shooting, especially late in the game when FSU was down five, six, seven points trying to get back into it. But but points in the paint was really a big issue, and that is a, that's a point where FSU has really su- su- uh, succeeded in recent years because Hamilton loves to bring in these seven footers that just sit under the rim mostly, get the easy the the the, the dunks and whatever. I was trying to figure out the hooks. Yeah, uh, that's that's Boss's signature move. Uh, that was just completely neutralized. Uh, UNC, I don't know what Roy Williams told him at halftime, but 
that was just not a part of FSU's offense, and that, that has been their bread and butter, really. Well, one of the pieces that I noticed that kind of came in and took over in that second half is Walker Kessler. Yes. Kid put up about 20 points in that one. He had played 24 minutes, and a lot of those came in that second half, and he's a seven foot one center right now, so there you go. That's a great way to stop FSU's height and their length that they have by just putting another big guy in there. Mm. So that's something that... Is something is Florida State's going to have to look out for matchup-wise going forward because they usually don't have this issue. Like, Max, you probably don't see it. Like, we don't, Florida State doesn't ever have to go up against a team as tall as them, typically. Not when you have a 6'9 point guard like Scotty <laughs> Barnes playing against the six foot two, if that, in college basketball. And not to mention Balsa and Nagam, those guys are two of the tallest players you'll see on a college basketball court. And like you were saying with Balsa offensively, I went back and watched highlights. None of these points that uh, Walker Kessler scoring, except for a handful, are up in the face of the other seven foot one guy. It's 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 a problem. I he needs to be better on both ends of the floor. There's no doubt about it, in my opinion. Well, see, that's a part like you mentioned. Like none of them are really up in the face of Balsa or any of the other big men that Florida State has. It's because Florida State typically runs that more help side man because they trust that their length and their athleticism as a whole can carry them on that defensive end. And there's sometimes where FSU they just got a little bit mismatched and assignments got missed, and it slipped up and resulted in an eight point loss for the Knolls here. I mean, did I did you notice that too, Austin? I did, yeah. I mean, it's it really just goes back to what we were talking about, like the the offensive alignments. I mean, the defense was okay, like late in the second half. That's when they kind of cooled off, and we're like, okay, we have to step up a little bit if we want to have a shot at getting back into this game. But just the, the way the offense was being run was not reminiscent of what brought FSU success in recent games. One play that I thought was a huge turning point for this game was in the second half, about midway through, Scotty Barnes gets it, or there's a turnover. Pass up to Scotty Barnes, I believe, from uh, Raekwon Evans. Gives it to Barnes. Barnes goes up for the dunk, but before he goes up for the dunk, he kind of turns his head to look back at where the defender is and then gets blocked. Maybe a questionable call on Mm -hmm. whether or not Barnes was hit during that dunk, but that's a huge momentum change right there. And Florida State, if they're able to convert on a dunk, they might be in that game a bit more. I mean, that's obviously two more points. You're a fourth of the way there Mm -hmm. in terms of what the deficit ended up being. But, I mean, Max, did you see that play, and what were your thoughts on it? Well, I, the thing that stuck out to me, like I was just saying, I'm pretty sure right after that play ended, they took the or UNC took the ball down the floor, and it was one of the few times they actually scored right in Balsa's face. Yep. And it's just, Balsa's, I love him, and I really wish he was so much better than what he was, but his post-presence is not as dominant or as aggressive as I would like to see. Yeah, and that's that's something we were really counting on was for him to make that leap in his second year because he was hurt a little bit in his freshman year. Uh, obviously, didn't get to have a lot of big moments thanks to the the season ending early. But he he was really starting to come into his own when the season got canceled last season. So he had been putting up decent performances early in this twenty twenty to twenty one season. But I mean, this was this was a rare like defensive lapse from him in this game, and hopefully he can get it tuned up in time for the uh, postseason play. Just kind of a rare defensive lapse from this team in general. I yeah. mean, it's just kind of one of those games that they have, but still they remain number 11 in the AP poll after, the, after that one-in-one week from FSU. Do you guys, should they have fallen, or do you believe a 11 ranking is still fair? I expected them to fall just because, I mean, nobody is going to put much stock in that Miami win. So I did not think that it would really even out the UNC loss. But, I mean, there was enough chaos. I saw maybe two or three upsets in the top 10. 
I don't know how many of those teams actually fell out of the top 10 behind Florida State. Uh, maybe that is why they kept their ranking uh, similar. Well, you had a little bit of a movement with Ohio State. Alabama dropped a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Baylor dropped a spot. But, I mean, nothing too big. I mean, maybe yeah, the, the biggest drop was Oklahoma moving nine spots down oh, to 16. Yeah. But still, Max, do you think they are still worthy of that 11 spot? I'm trying to find it right now. The only thing that will jump off the page for me for why they shouldn't move was because I think it's either 10 or 11 years since Florida State has gone into Chapel Hill and came out victorious. Wow. And last, that it, last one was 2010, I believe. Okay. Crazy. So still, I mean, that's still a long time. I mean, we were we were all in middle school pretty much yeah. then, <laughs> middle school or elementary school. So just take that and just take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> but yeah, this team, I... I think 11's fair. I mean, you can't, like, there's a lot of movement. I mean, you can't justify putting Arkansas over Florida State at this moment. I mean, Arkansas is a good team. Musselman's been doing a really good job down there, but still, Kansas, maybe you could do that just because they had that huge win against Baylor, but still, even Baylor, they've been coming off a COVID break. They did not look good. They did, they looked really, really bad against Iowa State. Did you take in that game the other week? I, I did not take in that game. I, I'm I'm really I'm really like guilty because the only like 99% of the college basketball I've consumed this season has been FSU basketball just because this team has been winning. They've been an interesting story with the two COVID breaks, the sort of different looks after they've come back from that. I've really been wrapped up in my school here. So mm-hmm. so so I haven't as as deep as some of the other conferences in the in the sport may be. I really haven't paid them the attention they're due. Yeah, the, I've really not watched too much ACC basketball this year, admittedly, but uh, when I'm watching college basketball, I usually find myself Big Ten or Big 12 right now because yeah. those have been two just cannibalistic conferences yes. at the moment. I mean, Illinois, I've watched a lot of Illinois basketball in the past week. They have had really interesting games. I mean, the game against Wisconsin over the weekend and then Michigan State midweek. So really great stuff coming out of there. And we're, we're going to get to that. Uh, in a week or so, just because we have uh, conference tournaments getting underway in just a bit. But still, we got a lot to talk about here. And I want to touch on some FSU women's hoops before we keep moving on, because I know we got some opinions on FSU baseball at the moment here. But let's talk about the FSU women's program right now. They had another one in one week. Still pretty good. That's still consistency. That's that consistent we, right. consistency we've been asking for out <laughs> from this show, at least. Just Just in the wrong way. Exactly, but hey, they they fell to Notre Dame uh, early in the week, seventy two to sixty four, and then game two they come back and get a huge win, one that they absolutely needed heading into the ACC tournament this week, with a fifty nine to fifty one win over Wake Forest, their last game at home against the Demon Deacons. That win puts them as the four seed in the ACC tournament, and due to a was a tiebreaker with Syracuse, correct? Yeah, it was it was one nothing head to head in favor of FSU. Exactly. So FSU takes that. They get a double buy, and so that means they'll be taking on. I shoot, I've missed yeah, the the. It, it'll be either Syracuse or the winner of. Oh, where did it go? Hello. Um, it'll be either Syracuse or the winner of Pitt and BC. That that's that's the twelve or. It would be 12 and 15 matchup, but there are two teams not competing in this tournament, so the the lowest seeded uh, first round matchup between Pitt and BC. Yeah, so that's a, I call it at least that's a little bit easier. I mean, it yeah. always helps when you don't have to play one extra game in this, yes. so you're automatically one game away from a semifinal opportunity. Granted, that opportunity might be against Louisville, and Louisville is probably not happy to play them, or would be very happy to get some revenge. Yeah, that's that's really the spin that I was going to put on it, because while it was good to see FSU rebound from a really ugly game against Notre Dame, they never led in that game. Uh, the size of Notre Dame was just threatening for 40 minutes. Uh, that was not a fun game to watch, to write about. 
Uh, but it, it was good to see them rebound. And that being said, this is where I get into my, my butt. Uh, Louisville is going to be out for blood, no matter who they play, because that loss to FSU uh, is going to be fresh in their minds, especially if that is the 1-4 the matchup in the semifinals. Uh, I fully expect it to be. I think FSU has shown that they can uh, find find consistency in certain parts of the game. Uh, they, they could probably beat Syracuse just because they have this season. But when it comes to beating the Titans like Georgia Tech and Louisville that are sitting at the top of the ACC, outlook not so good. No, not at all. But still, I re- this team has bounced back in a way that we didn't really expect because middle of the season early in this year, we were pretty down on them. Admit yeah. it. Like, we did not think this team was going to be where they are. I mean, a four seed is I think what we came into the year believing this team would be. And as the year moved on, it was just a lot of hills and valleys, ebbs and flows. And they really have impressed as this season has moved along. Max, what have you seen kind of out of this team? Because we haven't, we, I don't know, we, we haven't really heard your whole complete thoughts on FSU women's basketball. I would, I don't know how in-depth my knowledge of our women's basketball team is, but I will say the size that our coach uh, spoke upon against Notre Dame was a big issue in that game with a discrepancy of 38 versus 14 points in the paint. That is, that is a remarkable. Lot. A like, lot. That, that's really bad. And then not to mention, you would hope they're scoring from outside the paint. Then they shot 37.7 from the field, or, or from the field, which was almost as good as what they shot from deep. Like. That's that's just a game you bury the tapes of and mm. never look at again. I think, but I think you have to look at some of those tapes. You can't just look at what you did wrong and never or never think of it ever again. You kind of have to acknowledge that went wrong and try and fix it because that's how you get better. That's how you don't let history repeat itself. That is very true, and I will say I'll take it back a little bit because the game was a lot closer than some of these stats would suggest. But if this had been one of those twenty-five point blowouts. I would I would not be watching that game anytime soon. <laughs> Fair enough, but yeah, I, this team they'll have their first ACC tournament game on March fifth, Friday at two thirty p.m. It's still undecided on exactly who it will be, but it's going to be coming right around the corner. I mean, what are your expectations for this ACC tournament for FSU women's hoops? I mean, this is I mean, obviously in a in a COVID year for any sport, this is going to be really unpredictable, especially for FSU with Brooke Wyckoff. I mean, she's she's had a full regular season to sort of uh, find her find her home here uh, in the interim head coach position, but she is not Sue Semrau. I'm, I'm, I'm no disrespect to her. She's done a lovely job to get FSU to the fourth seed in the tournament, but I just don't know what to expect from her when it comes down to win or go home type matches. So I, I'm not going to put a prediction out there. I mean, I did say that I expect them to move on against Syracuse, but after that, I really don't know. Uh, one thing that I will say that needs to improve is the three-point shooting because Sammy Puisis in particular she was this really hyped up uh, three-point shooter last season. We thought that she was going to be the, the threat from beyond the arc. It seems like every time I look at these box scores in preparation for talking about the women's games uh, every Monday night, maybe one out of four times she has a, de- a decent shooting night, like shooting above 30%. And then other times she's just one for six, one for seven, oh for four. It's, there is no consistency there. I mean, consistency is the word that we hammer home with yeah, this team, but like she is... She's not showing up from beyond the arc. It's true. It's something that, like, like you said, we've harped upon all season, week in and week out. Yeah. I mean, it's something. It's 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 it, the it's the low hanging fruit. We sound but it's, like yeah, but it's we, what matters. Yeah, we sound like a broken record at this point, but yeah. still, it's I, it's the truth. I agree with you, man. It's, 
Max, what are your expectations for this team in this ACC tournament this week? I would love to have high praise and hope they can really go far. But as uh, Austin was saying, the heads of the ACC here are looking dominant and have looked dominant for many years. I, I, I it'd be hard for me to say they're going to pull this one out, but wishful thinking. Yeah, I, I, I would just not expect Lightning to strike twice with regards to beating Louisville twice in what's it going to be two weeks. Yeah, that, that's that's where it comes down to me for me at least. I mean, I, I would expect FSU to win this first game regardless of who they play. But once you go against Louisville, it's all bets are off, in my opinion. Louisville is the better team, and we kind of had this situation last year where FSU got to the tournament, and they fell to uh, NC State, who has now continually been on the rise since mm-hmm. then. So it's going to be a tough situation, but it should be still a good weekend of basketball. I mean, we're already to conference tournament weeks for a lot of teams, so it's going to be a lot of fun. And this, Like John Rothstein says, this is March. This is March. We sleep in May. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, get ready for all that. we got a lot more basketball as we move through this month. But just want to do a quick little touch-up here. Uh, FSU softball had a pretty good weekend, 3-0 and on the weekend, taking uh, down FGCU in southeastern Louisiana. Pretty boilerplate kind of stuff there. Nothing yeah. too big coming out of the weekend. Inferior opponents. FSU was able to take it as they would like. And so Kellen Arlen looked pretty good. Sydney Sherrill as well. But, I mean, there's not too much more to say about this. It's a pretty easy weekend. We're, they're coming off a really tough, like we said, a really tough, uh, grueling grind of a weekend in Atlanta at that ACC pod a couple weeks ago. But they're starting to get back in that right direction. And then also I want to give a shout-out to FC Women's Golf. They had a really great tournament this past weekend. It was over at Seminole Legacy, the new course in town here is the redesign, formerly known as Don Valor Seminole Golf Course. Junior Beatrice Wallen dominated the field. She shot, I believe it was 11 or 12 under. FSU was the only team to finish under par for the whole tournament. And it was, I mean, nobody having nobody know what this course is going to be like other than Florida State is such a huge advantage, and they were able to dominate. I mean, there was one team, Jacksonville University, as a team that it's so for college golf tournaments for those that don't know it's your combined five best scores jacksonville brought five players along with them like most road teams do and they shot 125 over par as a team <laughs> yeah I, I did not expect that number yeah and so F, that was it was a it was a bloodbath carnage the course won the weekend in my mm-hmm. opinion but fsu won the uh, team title and the individual title with beatrice wallen taking that so a little shout out there but Let's get over to some FSU baseball. because yeah. do, do we have to? Can, well, can, can we actually just talk about Diamond and Pearl remakes like I said on Twitter? Nope, 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 nope. We're not talking about Pokemon. Right, we okay, are going, I've got we, an idea. I've got an idea. Let's just gush about Elijah Capel for four minutes. No, <laughs> no. We got to talk about the important issues, guys, because they're... But dingers, they, Gary, dingers. Pressing matters here. Pressing matters. Yes, they, dingers are a pressing matter. What are you talking about? Getting swept by Pitt is a big issue. <laughs> he, he's banging his gavel <laughs> Yeah, here. Yeah, but 114 miles an hour. Like, it, you, he had a Giancarlo Stanton reincarnated here in our local ballpark, and you want to talk about how we, we're down bad against Pitt. FSU, they looked, they looked bad. I mean... Seven, oh no! Seven, like, I wanted to die multiple times, <laughs> like through that game. There were a game like the twelfth inning, Gary. The twelfth <laughs> inning, like I violently hemorrhaged brain cells. Oh my god! After that bottom of the twelfth, because I knew, I knew, like it's done, it's over. Like if you, if you get served that, because let's be honest, all of their um, on base appearances 
were pretty much served on a silver platter. Very rarely did Florida State actually, you know, make an effort to get on base rather than being walked or, or uh, hit by pitch. Which, which I want to say is the lion's share of their on-base percentage. It, and it yeah. feels like, and so let's just take people through the weekend for those that don't know. On Friday, Florida State, ugly one nothing loss to Pittsburgh. 19 strikeouts in that loss. They got shut out. On Saturday night, 8, eight o'clock pitch uh, under the lights at Dick Hauser, and it's on ACC Network, 7-2 to loss to Pittsburgh. That was very close to being one of the first times in a long time. I, I, one of my roommates was telling me about this. I wasn't listening to the broadcast at the time. That that could have they could not find on record the last time Florida State had been shut out two games in a row. Jeez. They and that was like Gabby Sanchez, former Marlon Gabby Sanchez, and another uh, guy going through it on the broadcast, and they just could not find two times in a row where Florida State got shut out yeah. in about a forty-year span. So. That could have been a four. That could have been a once in a lifetime kind of moment there. But Florida State gets a couple of garbage time runs at the end of the game, seven to two loss. Then on Sunday, what Sebastian has been ranting upon is a thirteen inning, five hour marathon, seven nine to seven loss. Florida State had the opportunity to close out that game. Chase Haney though gives up a home run in the top of the ninth, a two run home run in the top of the ninth inning, to let Pittsburgh back into this game. So. Let's start with let's start with the strikeouts because the strikeouts are an issue, and a lot of the time when I noticed I was there watching on Friday and Saturday night, I noticed that a lot of these strikeouts were because this team got down into counts way too early. They mm-hmm. were not fighting; they were looking at pitches, and I know that's a Mike Martin, a Mike Martin Senior trait of his teams. That was something I've talked about with him before in the past at press conferences. And now with Junior, Junior is just taking his father's style. He's adopting his. He's adopting what his father did, and teams know the playbook. I mean, they yeah. knew the playbook when Martin Senior was here, and now they're like, okay, you're just going to keep doing what your dad did. Let's see how that works. Yeah, and that, that's something that he pointed out because I was in the. Uh, I was covering the game, the Saturday night game, for the the radio station here, and Martin said in the post game that uh, the, the big issue that led to FSU's demise in that game and it's really common throughout their first six games so far, was just looking at pitches they should be swinging at and swinging at pitches they shouldn't. So, I mean, if it is that big of an issue that you're losing, you're getting swept in a weekend series against Pitt, then you would think that would be something you work on during the week. Would you guys agree that this week, at the very least this weekend, was like peak Florida State three-true outcomes? Where it's like if they were were going to hit, they were going to hit hard, but otherwise they were going to strike out uh, swinging, or they were going to be walked. I think so, yeah. Cause, yeah. Cause, like, cause, cause th- that, be honest yeah, with yourself. Yeah. When did you actually see like pitches that were swung at? It's like okay, that was clearly you were you were finding contact on that ball mm-hmm. to get on base and instead it, of just it was, going yards. So it was it was never really. And I'm just just something really quick here. Uh, the, the one time I got to talk to Mike Martin Senior before he uh, retired. That was something that I mentioned. Like, this team lives and dies by the home run. How are you going to fix that? Mm-hmm. And, and it's two years later. It's still the same, same story. Thing. And so one thing that I notice every time I watch this team is they let them they play too passive against teams that they are the better team. Yeah. When you're the better team in a situation like this, you do not sit back and let them come to you. You attack and you keep pressing the issue yeah. because if you sit back, you're going to get caught like this. And they got caught for three games straight against yeah. Pittsburgh, a team that has been on the road for the past two weeks, they got they played a three-game set down in um, 
Uh, was it Illinois? N- yeah, I think it was or against I- Illinois. Indiana. I yeah, they, so. but they played a three-game set down in the uh, southwest Florida area, I think yeah. around Fort Myers. Then they traveled up to Jacksonville to oh, play yeah. JU over midweek, and then they drove over to Tallahassee. This team has been on the road on a grueling grind, and this and Florida State could not take advantage. They could only muster three runs in the first two games. Yeah. And I know they scored seven in the last. That's great. But when your pen doesn't step up for that one day, it's not a good look. I mean, Max, what did you see? I mean, like, I've, we kind of just left you out of the conversation here, but what are your thoughts right now? No, I actually I would jump in, but I'm just echoing everything you guys mm-hmm. are saying right now. It's I was there for most of the uh, Sunday loss and extra innings, which was grueling, but my condolences. very, very <laughs> fun game to watch if you're a true baseball fan, I would say. But their willingness to just always draw out the walk they fsu i it just kills me because you got to be aggressive in baseball and i feel like college baseball is very true as well and i heard this on the broadcast early before i got to there they were pointing out how in college it you shouldn't rely on home run versus strikeout as much because you put the ball in play college baseball has way more fielding you're gonna have errors Mm -hmm. yes way less but, yeah, so something Florida State's had an issue with, like you, like we all, all said here. So walkouts or walks and strikeouts. They've had 73 strikeouts this season, and they've had 42 walks. So when you have that kind of disparity and you're doing what you're doing, something isn't working. You have nearly 30, you have a 30, uh, let's call point spread between yeah. the two. And there has to be a breaking point, and maybe this weekend was, and so... We miss our we miss the the opportunity to see this team kind of maybe get a quick bounce back game tomorrow. What would have been tomorrow, but the game against Mercer here in Tallahassee was canceled due to rain. It start already started yeah. raining this afternoon here, and it's only going to continue as Tallahassee is a very rainy part of the country, one of the rainiest in the whole country. It's crazy to think that, but what's I mean their next game is not going to be easy. They no. take on UVA here in Tallahassee. That oh, is. Yeah, oh boy is correct for this team. I mean, there's no no, no other way about it. But awesome, what are your thoughts on the series? I'm I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to get my hopes up. The one the one, the one thing that I will say is that uh, also in the press conference from Saturday night, Mike Martin Jr. didn't really point out any areas of like any specific areas that they were going to focus on throughout the week. He just said, "Oh, we've had our little slides before. I've been here X amount of years, and we've had." like five game losing streaks we've had weekends where we only get a couple home runs and then we've gone back and made it to the to the college world series or to the super regionals or whatever so i mean i I, i'm not gonna say he's just being lax or too like resting on his laurels too much but that the the lack of focus on just one thing in particular the one thing that we have all been pointing out as a major glaring weakness is uh it's concerning to me heading into such a strong opponent like Virginia. I have to, like, I grit my teeth when I say this, but I have to, like, acknowledge that that is, in fact, the case. It what, is. What, what, uh, my, what Junior's saying is true. Like, they have been able to figure it out, I guess, or, or work, work out the kinks. We'll, we'll have, um, I don't know if you guys remember the early parts of last season, what little we got from last season. That was more or less the same thing. Whereas, like, a lot of up and downs, like, oh, are they going to figure it out? And eventually they kind of did, and then mm. the season stopped. Right. But um, even in the College World Series season, 2019, uh, yeah. they, they started off really cold, and then they caught fire towards the end of the season. We didn't really know what to make of them until they made it to Omaha. But in that season last year, where they had their ups and their downs, I mean, they still, they granted, they lost the first game to Niagara. That's not great. 
but they came back, won the next two games like they did against UNF. They beat USF, a good in-state opponent. Then they swept Cincinnati, beat FAU in two games, lost to Texas Tech, who went to the College World Series the year before, yeah. then beat Mercer, but then lost to Duke twice in ACC play, and then beat the Gators and beat Illinois State. So it's none of those in the past five to six years, none of these, quote, uh, like losing streaks have been like this. Mm -hmm. This is, I think, a completely different animal. And like you said, I think Martin is resting on his laurels too much right now. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to come out and say it, but since you're supporting it, then I'll just go ahead and say it. Like, there needs to be a very clear focus. It, it, I mean, obviously, there's, there's one in practice. Maybe he doesn't want to show his cards to the media because we're all just... None of us really know the game as well as he does, obviously. So, I mean, we're, we're just a bunch of guys, but just being able to hear that during a press conference would give me a lot of peace of mind. Well, I want to hear the real answer on something from Friday night where it was a, like I, like we said, it finished one nothing. It was a one nothing game at the time. FSU has the bases loaded, two outs uh, at home. Elijah Cabell, first game back after being injured, steps up, is about to step up to the plate. In a big situation, he's 0 for 3 on the night, 3 strikeouts. Not great night for the kid on his first night back, but you can understand it's his first time being back in the lineup this year. Before he gets the chance to step up into the batter's box, he gets pulled for Nico Baldor. And that's where I get a little bit frustrated with how that, what kind of call that was there because... This was the, the Friday night game, correct? Correct. Okay. Nico Baldor gets substituted in a big situation. And... And I really do not believe that was the correct move. I know uh, Cabell is a strikeout, he's a very frequent strikeout hitter, but he's like we saw yesterday. He has the most explosive bat in this lineup. He can do a lot. And taking out of taking the bat out of your best hitter in that moment can kill a guy's confidence as a cleanup hitter. That's something you do not do, and especially putting him in for a guy. In the season where he had 50 games, this is the 18 to 19 season. I'm really discounting the eight, the 19 to 20, and his first season where he had two games in 16, 17. In 18 and 19, he had 50 at 50 games played. His batting average 173. Yeah, I mean, Oof. putting a guy like that and who might not even have the same amount of confidence that Cabell has or any other team on this guy has, can it just it makes your it scratch it makes my head I scratch my head every time. I mean, Max, were you this thing in the same way when we all saw this happening? I just he watching him on the saw or in the stands. It's very interesting. Just his demeanor out there is so calm, which I understand some coaches are. But like when you have the bases loaded, this is now Sunday's game. When you have the bases loaded in a very long drawn out extra innings game, and you bring in who I was considering. FSU's best hitter, Tyler Martin, who I think, does he have an injury right now? No, they, I think they were just resting him because of just kind of a, just a Sunday kind of rest thing. Okay. They do that every now and then. And you got to have supreme confidence in your team to get one run across and a play where you got to slide at home play. I I don't care if it's statistically proven otherwise. You uh, got to slide. Okay, no, I'm fine you with that sliding. But no, no, no. But I'll tell you what went wrong on that play there because I can't remember the base runner's name. But he Vincent. stepped short. Yeah, Nick Vin or uh, Vince Smith. No, oh, Vince. No, no wait, no, which Vincent? Vincent? Last name Vincent. Okay, but either way, he stepped short of home plate. He stutter stepped himself. Oh, did he? That's why he finished. That's why he didn't get there okay. in time because he stutter stepped. I noticed like he didn't reach out for the for the plate, 
And so they showed on the replay and he did stutter step his way there. So that's why he was eventually called out there. So that situation, putting Tyler Martin in is perfectly fine because he's your he's one of the best hitters on this lineup. And if you have a chance to pinch hit him in a situation, by all means, do it. But not Nico Baldor. Not Nico Baldor in a situation where you need a win. You need a you need you can't let this game get by you because obviously we saw it. It's has now snowballed into a sweep from Pittsburgh at your home stadium. Yeah, the the home stadium is really the point that we should have driven home a little earlier because so many of so many of FSU's first games of the season, like this Virginia game, is going to be at Dick Hauser as well. They are supposed to win the majority of these games. It is your home baseball park. You're familiar with it. You switch dugouts to just feel more comfortable. From the third, uh, from the first baseline to the third baseline. Don't line. get me started on that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started on switching dugouts. That that really yeah. that really grinds my gears. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's that's really just all I was gonna say. Like you have to make the best opportunity to win at home because teams are gonna have varying amounts of fans. It's gonna be different environments depending on where you go in the ACC. So just with, with Virginia looming and with an with an 0-3 loss at home to Pitt in the back uh, the rearview mirror. Uh, we are, we are in dire straits. Yes, there could be a there could be another sweep on the way here this Maybe. weekend. UVA is a very very solid ball club, and do not do not sleep on them one bit. I mean, last week they were ranked number two. I didn't get a chance to see the Baseball America or D1 Baseball's ranking this past weekend, but still they're they're I'm assuming a top five team coming into this weekend, and they're really going to stick it to Florida State. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, I did. <laughs> we, we, okay. are, we are 10 oh, minutes I, past oh, the halfway I've, mark. Oh, I've known that. I, I just didn't want to kill any of the momentum because exactly. I felt like we were yeah. doing pretty no, well here. So, I mean, we'll, we can head to break now because let's take a little bit of a break, get a little bit of yeah. a breather before we get into some NBA talk and some NHL yeah. stuff. But yeah, this is. I can hear the FCC battering ram like three doors away. I know. I'm just trying to make sure. That oh, I know. We, we fulfill. I know. Our but radio yes, this yes, this is Tomahawk talk. Can you're I listening throw, to. Oh, w- no, you're good. You're good. Yeah, this is we'll Tomahawk talk. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We'll be back in just a moment.
Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. I know we got to our mid-show break a little bit later, but I just did not want to kill the momentum of that baseball segment there. It would have been like taking Elijah Cabell out of a game, a big game situation in the eighth inning if I were to do that there. But It's just not right. Exactly. It's just not right. He really just sucks the wind out of a room right there. But yeah, so we're back. We got some NBA and NHL talk coming about on this second half here. I'll, we didn't get to it, actually. I forgot to mention in the first half. Uh, Coach Hamilton, actually, yes. five-year extension, 2.25 uh, for each year of those five years. By the time he's done with that contract, if he does ride it all the way out, he will be 77 years old. As of right now, Jim Beheim is 76 years old. He is the oldest current basketball coach in D1 at the NCAA D1 level. D, I, I think this is fine. I understand the principle of giving him five years. He's really earned it all in total just because he's been here for such a long time and he really has lifted this program up so much. Yeah, even if he was losing let's say like 50% of his games every year, just the impact that he has on these players uh, year in and year out, making them better basketball players, better men, more importantly, uh, that would be reason enough to keep him around even for a a few years. But like the the added success, the elite eights a few years back, uh, the the consistent tournament runs, the the, the ACC championship from last year, uh, that is, that's just icing on the cake for him to sort of ride out the last few years of his career here. Exactly. Oh, no, for me, um, I'm thrilled because it means that there is you've got an e-ticket here at Florida State now, yeah. um, and the, where where football has left a vacuum, um, Florida State basketball has stepped up and become like our our campus's main attraction in a sense, um, and the mastermind behind it is finally getting the recognition that he deserves yeah. wholeheartedly. The thing that thrills me the most though is that now he he's got like this on top of his illustrious CV as a coach, but he's also got you know you look at the guys who get drafted right. Um, and we and Florida State went two for three last year, and the third guy is is making waves over in Utah, which is which is pretty hard to do. Yeah, considering how good they are, the top seed in the West yeah. right now. So. Yeah, yeah. So. He's come in and he's he's trying to become the same guy that he was at Florida State, and that's that's thrilling. So what we, what you've got here is like you've got you can approach players now and say like, hey, uh, Mister Five Star, like check out what we're doing, what what Knowles are doing on the pros right now. Yeah, and we can, if you fit our program and you buy in, you can become like those Knowles that that were either drafted or become major pieces down the line of the G League. Yeah, it's a, it's something crazy. Like wh- I started following FSU basketball around 2012, so that's the Michael Snare. Like that was one of the, my first memories of watching FSU basketball is that Michael Snare shot at Duke, and seeing how much this program has grown since then is is insane to really look back on and just when seeing when people were happy about making the tournament, just making it out of the first mm-hmm. round, getting to the second round. Now people have that expectation of final four hopes. And it's just wild how this is all kind of changed and twisted throughout the years. Yeah. And just something, cause I guess we're going to, we're going to move into NBA pretty, pretty mm-hmm. soon here, but uh, just one last thing um, with him leaving, this could throw a wrench in things in five or so years. But I mean, you see guys like Patrick Williams and, uh, and Devin Vassell first year, uh, first round picks this past season, Scotty Barnes did not come here knowing that he came here. I mean, it, I'm not going to say that FSU lucked into getting a five-star prospect, but he was he he was the unicorn, really. Well, but, he saw- but, but 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 with those first-round picks, like with that with those guys being added to the pedigree, sort of, and Scotty Barnes presumably soon to follow, then this could be really the golden age of FSU recruiting. Oh, exactly. And you see Ryan Kelly, former Tomahawk Talk host, former head of the station or head of the department here. 
he tweets out every single time, this is the golden age of FSU basketball. Yeah. And I, I truly believe he is wholeheartedly correct in that statement every single time we get to that topic there. But let's move on to a little bit of the NBA because there's a lot still going on. The All-Star, it's All-Star week, technically. Yeah. We get the week, uh, this weekend is the tournaments or the game. Sunday is the game. I believe they'll still be doing dunk contest on Saturday and all that. So still get a little bit of those festivities. I know it obviously won't be the... 20,000 fans in a stadium screaming their heads off when a guy throws it down and but it'll still be fun it'll still be a good time this weekend I know it's in Atlanta for you we'll start off with the Hawks I guess right now because they've been they had an interesting day or an interesting 24 hours tough loss to Miami they almost came back and took it but he made a late push in the fourth quarter there to take it uh but shortly after this afternoon they uh announced that they fired their head coach, Lloyd Pierce. I believe he's only been there for two years. Am I correct? Yeah, he was there uh, th- the first year that the Hawks kind of kind of sucked. Uh, after, after making the playoffs the most recent time, that was Mike Budenholzer's last straw. He said, I don't want to be part of a rebuilding team. So Lloyd Pierce got here the same time that Trey Young did. Um, after he, he was hired prior to that draft, uh, probably had a, ha- a hand in drafting him. But uh, yeah, two two and two years and change was all that Lloyd Pierce got here in Atlanta. Is it justified? Is the firing justified for you as looking on it as a Hawks fan? Can, uh, before you, before you get to answer, because I, I just want to preface whatever he's going to say with Luke Walton is still a coach in the NBA. Yeah, Go that's ahead. a great, very point. good, yes. very good point. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I completely forget that it was he's in Sacramento still. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. He shouldn't. Have if you forgot, it's okay. We we understand why. <laughs> Yeah. I guess. Yeah. You could. You, yeah. yeah. There are a lot of reasons, but yeah. Lloyd Pierce. What are your? Do you believe it's still justified? I, I do. I, I was telling Gary before the show. I, I'm a little more mixed on this than I was about the Dan Quinn firing. I was ecstatic for that because he had been ruining my team for two years and change prior to his firing. Uh, but for the Hawks, I mean, this is a guy that was brought on to be the coach of a, of a rebuilding team for his first two years in, in the in the Hawks organization. So expectations were really low. And there are some whispers around the organization that it may have been Trey Young that really put the pressure on the Hawks, on Travis Schlenk to spend big this offseason, use that $50 million of cap space that they used to get Rajon Rondo, Chris Dunn, who has not played a single second of NBA action due to injury, Bogdan Bogdanovich, who has been down with injury for what feels like a month now, and Danilo Gallinari, who has been off and on with injury. So really some rough free agent acquisitions there, but word around the organization is that Trey was the, the big uh, motivating factor behind that because he wanted to be part of a winning franchise. So, I mean, Lloyd Pierce may have gotten the raw end of a deal just because Trey is a superstar who wants to wants to have success in the NBA. Uh, the superstars he brought in, well, the, not superstars, the the pieces he brought in, decent were, pieces. Yeah, I mean, I was just saying superstar in the last sentence and it slipped over to yeah. this one. But the the pieces he brought in were not there. The chemistry was not there. The Hawks are what tenth, eleventh, twelfth in the East right now. I think they are eleventh at fourteen and 11th, twenty. Yeah, and I mean the the East is so volatile that that's only like the, 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 the two, two and a half games out, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah two and a half games out of the eighth spot. Yeah, like the the East is so volatile that two weeks from now they could be like the 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 seventh seed or whatever. But like Lloyd Pierce, the, the main knock on him, like injuries uh, injuries aside, just the lineups that he trotted out during certain points of the game uh, when the Hawks were. <laughs> There were multiple points where they had like a four or five point lead trying to sit on that, take the starters out, but the lineup he would trot out there was just volatile. Like they were bleeding points on defense, couldn't shoot from beyond the arc, worth anything. And he would leave them out, out there, let teams go on like a 10 or a 12 nothing run for minutes at a time. And he just would not call timeout. He would not make those in-game adjustments that you need to make if you're going to be a playoff contender like the Hawks were pegged to be. So 
It, I, uh, it, it, it's yeah. Go ahead. I'd like to point out that seems to be a growing trend with some of the Popovich tree that we've seen recently. Brett Brown, terrible in game. Yeah. And the guy we stole or my team stole from you, I I went I was ecstatic the day the Bucks signed Mike Budenhoser. Mm-hmm. And at this moment in time, I might be regretting that. I, I don't blame you because I mean he he was a fine coach for getting to the playoffs, maybe winning a series, but. When you have Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, those that supporting cast around him, you should be expected to make the finals uh, in in a, in an East that was without the big trio in Brooklyn. So I mean, the fact I... that, the fact that they didn't make it is kind of upsetting. But mm-hmm. I mean, just the the coaching that he displayed in the bubble in particular was really questionable. So the, I, I get that the bubble was just I, I, uncomprehendable. Yeah. It was not the Milwaukee Bucks. It just wasn't. It it all of the worst parts of the play we had in the regular season was the only thing you saw in the bubble. And I would say for the struggles so far this season, I don't blame Budenhoser as much. Yeah. I think he's doing the best he can with Bobby Portis as the starting center for his backup role, <laughs> or the starting the, be- the best big on our entire bench. Our GM signed like six guards this offseason, none of which can play defense. Augustine, Forbes, they're instant offense, but those guys are barely six foot and just don't know how to play perimeter defense. Do you have anything? Or? No, well, not not true, not really on. I'm not as well-versed in right. the coaching schemes of the NBA, but still right. I wanted to touch on a little bit because I know Sebastian mentioned this, the volatility in the East there. So as of right now, oh. Sebastian? I'm not saying anything. Oh, I thought you were oh. tapping like you wanted to get my, oh, no, my bad. No, I have just one more thing before we yeah, get into that. let's go. Uh, Nate McMillan, the assistant head coach, uh, previous head coach for the Pacers and a whole slew of teams, he has accepted the the deal to be the interim head coach for the Hawks. There was some discussion over whether or not he would take that because he was so close with Lloyd Pierce, but Lloyd gave him his blessing to be the interim head coach, and he will carry that role throughout the rest of the season. All right. Yeah, and like Sebastian mentioned before, the East has been so volatile this season that there's only, what is that, between uh, the 8 spot, like where the Hawks, or the 11 spot where the Hawks are, there's only two and a half games separating them from the eight. And so as for this season, the NBA seven uh, seeds seven through 10 will play in a play in tournament to get into the fi- or to get into the official playoffs. So seeds one th- or teams one through six will be safe. Seven through 10 have to go to a playoff. So as of right now, the Hawks, they're still not technically out of the truly play yeah. or the play in games. You can call them that, but it's it's a lot, and I mean we've seen it now with the Heat. The Heat have just flip flopped yeah. immediately from being around that ten, that eleven to twelve range, and now being all the way up to fifth. Yeah, the Wizards too. I mean, I think a couple of weeks ago I said, oh, we can't count anybody out in the East except the Wizards, and then they they rattled off like six wins in their last eight or something like that. Bradley Beal and Russell Russell Westbrook, let's get that out of my mouth, <laughs> uh, have really come into their own here. They're just a spot behind the Hawks. So if they catch fire, that is a really uh, high-scoring duo that can carry them to the play-ins at least. Um, For the Hawks in particular, I mean, if they get Bogdanovich back, if they get DeAndre Hunter back, that is some really good shooting and some really good two-way play that they can get, but it is really just an ocean of uncertainty here in the East. Exactly, and it's all because of injuries, like you said. For Bogdanovich, for Butler, for the Heat, have really the Bucks? have you guys been dealing with a ton of injuries over there this season? Honestly, not really. It's just been our nice. Well, it it makes sense because, look, they're a top three team in the East, and the Heat and the Hawks are kind of just in a scrum down below. I I would just say, like, the defense has been the biggest drop-off for the Bucks. Everyone's saying that the Sixers are outperforming in the new – 
I hate that Nets roster, but man, they're good. <laughs> it's, go- it's so good. Oh, it, it's, it's, just... it's, so, it's so good, but the way it's constructed just makes my blood boil. Oh, yeah. It's true, like, it's, but it's, a, it's fun to watch. Yeah, KD at the center. The man weighs 150. <laughs> it's almost as if the NBA is, over the course of the past decade and a half, defanging the defense to the point where no, yeah. if you don't do anything, you still get fouled in yep. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that, but like it's like the, there's a drop-off. It's a three-and-a-half game drop-off between – where the Bucks are at the three spot, and then where the Knicks are, and people are now clamming for the Knicks. Julius Randle's the next best thing right now. He's better than he's the hottest thing since sliced bread out here. But the Knicks, do they have? Do are they going to hold this four spot? Is there any chance on this? I mean, the, everyone's talking about it. The Heat fans are already saying Knicks Heat first round playoffs. Give it to me right now. There is a zero percent chance. <laughs> I I would put all of my money down. That the Knicks, it, at absolute best, play in the play-in tournament and just get obliterated. That That is a hot take. Their, their roster is not good. If you look at the roster of even the Pistons, I like that roster way more. And the Pistons are nine and a half games back from them. There's plenty of basketball left, in my opinion. I don't think the Knicks are going far. Scott Clemens, he's running the V89 Sports Twitter tonight. Scott, I want you to jot that down. Please take a note on that, because that is something that I, we will revisit once we get closer to the end of this season. Because By all means. Hot take right there. I think that, yeah, that's, that, that hot take is... You're leaving, what you're doing is leaving like a piece of steak out in the sun. Oh. I think that one's going to age pretty poorly. <laughs> I don't like the Knicks at all, really. Um, in terms of their composition, I think Thibs is a phenomenal coach who's clearly done something that no other coach in the past, what, eight years has been able to do, which is turn the New York Knicks around. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is worthy of praise. I think he's a clear shot for coach of the year. Um, Uncontested right now, in my opinion. Uh, But um, Not Steve Nash. Not not, not, not Quinn Snyder. Steve Nash. Quinn Snyder is a very good one. Yeah. Uh, actual, not a joke. Steve, yeah, like, Steve, I, I, I was not saying oh, that no. was a joke. Steve Nash is a joke. <laughs> Steve Nash with the uh, brand new idea of offense wins championships. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no. So there's there's a lot going on there. And let, I want to talk a, still a little bit about the East there because still Utah Jazz, they, they had a little bit of a rough patch there against the Heat uh, in that, was it a Thursday night game? But still, they bounced back and get a 124 to 109 win. And with AD still being out for the Lakers, they're still gaining, they're still separating themselves from that pack. And as of right now, they have a three and a half game lead on LA. And that is huge right now. Yeah, I just don't know if LA is going to be able to make that up. I mean, there's 36 games in the second half of the season. AD will presumably be back for the the start of the all or the start of the second half after the all-star break. We don't really know for sure, but uh, I mean Three and a half games when when Utah is at the pace that they are playing at, I, I, are they still undefeated in, in their last however many games, or have they they have they lost one in recent Eight weeks? And two. The, the the Jazz? Yeah, the Jazz. Yeah, the Jazz lost to the Heat last week. Oh, or last week. Yeah, I, I thought I they thought lost I, the Heat and then bounced back with a win against the Magic. I, okay, when when you said the score, I thought I thought you meant like they bounced back in that Heat game and won it, but but no, no. okay. No, they so. bounced back after their loss. That that loss to the Heat. I mean. The Heat are just playing all kinds of impressive yeah. right now. I mean, six-game win streak, and even with a win without Jimmy Butler last night, they're three and nine going into that one without Butler in their lineup, and yeah. they were able to make it work somehow. But yeah, uh, I I have honestly not been keeping up with the Jazz. I just know that they are really really good right now. Um, their roster is not really the the most flashy, but it, it works. Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell have been doing wonders for that team. 
Uh, they, they've been thought of as sort of a dark horse in past playoff runs, and they've never really been able to get the job done after the first round. But uh, I think a make-or-break reason for this team this year is the production of Jordan Clarkson. Yeah. He's he's almost a shoe-in for sixth man, I would say, at this yeah. point. Like, And as for the Lakers coming back, I don't think it's really necessarily doable. If yeah. anything, they could drop. Yeah. But I don't think it matters. I, I agree. Like, I think so much is made about just the easy path that the one seed has to the, the NBA finals or the conference finals. But, but when you get to playoff time, it really does not matter. Like if you have LeBron and AD, then you are going to be competitive in a series regardless of who you're playing against. So assuming AD is healthy by then, which he very well should be, then that they will be in play to win the West. It's it, it doesn't really matter what the number next to their name is. Well, this year is going to be very important to hold a one or a two seed this year just because of the way I mentioned before how the playoffs are set up. It's where that seven to ten seed have to play a play-in uh, games. Yeah. And so if you're Utah or L.A. and you can possibly get a Dallas and you can possibly get uh, Dallas or you can get two lesser teams. Do, do you really want no, to play Dallas? No, but that's see, but that's where it comes down to. So maybe you could either play Golden State, Denver, Dallas or Memphis. You can really be in a, in a very good spot to get out of that first round with an easy, easy sweep. Mm. So that I think that's this is going to be something worthwhile looking forward to watch. It definitely is, yeah. And I mean, like, the, the West is so competitive that really, I, I think any of the teams say, let me look at the standings here, but the, the West is so deep that it's... really and, and, and any team 1 through, say, 10, 11 is going to be able to give the Lakers or the, the Jazz or whoever n- not not a run for their money. Like, it, it's, it's not going to be a seven-game series, but they can definitely play well. They can take a game or two in did that Did you series. see the game between the Lakers and the Warriors last night? I did not. I mean, that was a blowout. Total that was, blowout. that was like, and, and Golden State's right now sitting as the eight seed. So, I mean, they're like, I'd say maybe one through maybe five is, uh, maybe six. No, I get, I, Trailblazers would give okay. the Lakers a run for their money. They did, I mean, they did last year. <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely did. I mean, the Warriors are kind of they're kind of hurting right now. They don't have Clay Thompson. That's a, a huge part of their offense. Uh, struggling to adjust with uh, James Wiseman at center. But I mean, I I still think that any of these teams can pop on any given night, especially if you if you go through the the trials of a play-in series. And I think especially in the West, because as you said, the the eight seed in the West is nineteen and sixteen. That is what. Yeah, the, the, that's the, better than the Knicks. Yeah, the, the, that, that's a four seed. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, and the, the Knicks are eighteen and seventeen. Yeah, in like fourth place. The so. West is just so much deeper, and that's why I think the seeding necessarily doesn't matter as much as the East. Which, as much as you could argue, yeah, they all have the same records, seeding won't really matter. I think it's huge in that sense that because of that. Yeah, yeah, we'll all see this continue to play out. I didn't want to leave this out, Sebastian. Sebastian, give us a little bit of talk in hockey here for a second. All right, lightning, so they're, all right. the Lightning, they bounce back. They move from fourth to now first now. They're tied with the Panthers for first in the uh, in the Central, the yep. Catrol. Still have a game in hand. Yes. But what I actually wanted to talk about, this is a little, uh, I'm a bit out of my depth when I say this. But, fellas, I genuinely think that this year might be the year where Toronto wins the President's Trophy. Oh, this, year, this year might be it. Pro- uh, Let's the, see. The We're- Central is a, is a bloodbath because you have the three Atlantic teams that are transplants. Uh, constantly at each other's throats and and basically continually keeping each other down, or at least in check. Um, you've got the um, you've got the what's it called now? Is the it still we- called the Metro? You have the called- West, East, Central, and North. Okay. So yeah, so we've got the East where, but I I think the because 
Because Canada is not good at hockey. Well, Canadian <laughs> hockey teams are not good yes. at NHL hockey. I need to walk are, that no, back. You are correct. Now yeah. wait a minute. It's really it's really Toronto and Edmonton in that division there right now. And because yeah. Ed- and let's be honest, Edmonton is not a uh, at the same level as Toronto. No, Toronto, it, Toronto like one team is like, Toronto's sixteen and four with two overtime losses. Edmonton is 14-9 and with no overtime losses. So that really puts it in perspective. But the goals for, I mean, Edmonton, they'll put up goals. They got 79 goals yep. so far this year, but they give up 69. Yep. So um, they, yeah, so you're probably right with the, that Toronto will probably win the President's Trophy this season just because they are, they have a pretty easy, easy what division. What scares me is that um, we could see one of two things happen. We could either see, you know, what we've, we've come accustomed to whenever somebody... Um, earns the President's Trophy, and that's that they usually go up in a ball of flames at some point yep. in the playoffs Correct. do not really smell the Stanley Cup at all. Believe me, I, better than anybody, know how exactly how that feels. Um, still doesn't hurt as much as it used to, but... Yes, because um, you've gotten your revenge, okay. but Toronto yes, is still, yes. but Toronto uh, Toronto, is still so, living down in that Yeah, Toronto is still spot. in a 50-plus year, uh, for those of you at home. <laughs> Long rebuild. Hold, uh, or hole, rather. It's, it's been a rebuild. They've been rebuilding. Oh, yes, we... <laughs> Right, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but, yeah, uh, yeah, it's gonna be tough because yeah, like you said, like the Capitals went through it. Peng- I think the Penguins have had it a couple seasons, but uh, Tampa Bay, especially, it happens to those teams. It's just that curse. It, it just, is. Go- it just it, happens. This is what so. This is what scares me though, because what we have the potential to see is team. There's like I said, for me personally, there are only three caliber teams in the Central. Uh, there's only two, any sort of caliber. Uh, teams in the Canadian division. Um, the teams in the East are all pretty good. I have uh, I have a great sense of respect for pretty much Philly upwards. Um, not Pittsburgh. Sid does. Pittsburgh just Pittsburgh they're not is, doing great. Sid's going to ride dog. it out. Yeah, they're a mm-hmm. sick dog. Where fundamentally you don't have you don't have any sort of like fresh legs in that um, in that franchise that really make me go man yeah but in- uh, if you've got you've got the old dogs yeah but you've got some some new guys that are coming in and making mm-hmm. making waves right no it's just the same group of guys that we've been seeing for 15 years and we're not uh, like that that franchise is one retirement away from a rebuild. Oh, you are correct. When Sid the Kid goes, <laughs> like, they're going to be in a worse state than when weren't he first there, came in. Weren't there rumors he was possibly going to be on the move? I don't know he, much about he doesn't want. He doesn't want to move. He okay. said he wants to no, retire he's a Penguin. A, he's a penguin for respect life. that. Yeah. No, I totally expected that, but I thought I saw that at one point. But no. so pretty much that means that division, that East for you at least, is a four, it's four team deep because they got the Flyers, the Islanders, the Bruins, and the Caps. Yeah. So. And that, let, me, let, me, let me finish that statement. And those teams have been playing each other basically nonstop. Um, the uh, the Panthers and the Lightning specifically have been taking turns going on and off. COVID break, uh, you know, a game gets postponed here. Uh, a Dal- the Dallas Stars game, I believe it was the Dallas Stars game. Tonight's scheduled game for the Lightning was, in fact, postponed probably because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but even so, let's continue down there. Like the West has, I in my opinion, four good teams as well. They got the Avalanche. I love Colorado. They got a great team. I love McKinnon. The Blues are pretty darn good. The Wild are good, and Vegas is still up there somehow, some way. They still manage to do it, but yeah, it's going to be a tough road going forward. And right now, we're still it's like, just the middle of the season. Too, we're yeah. still in the way too early category of playoff predictions. But I'm I am genuinely concerned that we're going to see teams at the top of the Central and the Canadian be exposed. I don't think That's it happens point. to to Tampa. Well. Okay. If anything, wow. would, if I anything, literally just set myself okay. up for the one thing that I hate setting up <laughs> myself up for. But 
um, what worries me is that, you know, you play, you when you beat down against talent that is way below your standard of play, mm-hmm. um, it has a sen- it has this nasty tendency of softening you, softening mm-hmm. you up. Um, I'm fairly certain that we saw that in at least, it happens at the Central. It, it happens in the Central in baseball all the time. You have, like, mm-hmm. one decent team, and what they, especially this past season, where they played, uh, how many games was it? Like, 90 60. S- 60, wow. 60 games sprint. Yeah. Only, um, you play 60 games against really crappy teams for the entire year, and, like, what happens when you actually play competent uh, competent lineups yeah. in October? Well, I mean, look at, in October. Look, look at the Cubs. They got you beat by the Marlins. <laughs> by, you get face-rolled by teams who are actually playing but uh, granted, lineups that but are worth their salt. But the MLB kept it to kind of more region. So, I mean, the, the East played all teams in the East. The Central teams all played in the Central, like, splitting. Well, guess what? Time. Both Centrals are terrible. Yeah. Oh, no, exactly. But, yeah, terrible. so, yeah, you've had a lot of that going on. So, it's obviously... So do you say terrible? Yeah, just terrible. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> but yeah, is there? You got any last final thoughts on hockey before we uh, stop the show? It's going to be interesting seeing how like the unstoppable uh, force of the President's Cup curse combines with the immovable object of the it's the Maple Laughs um, <laughs> curse. Like, I wonder what happens. Do we see like this weird fusion of a super curse where they just go up in a ball of flames? Does a negative times a negative equal a positive? Or do we see that where both curses are just erased? Are, are by erased that. and the spirit of of uh, Gretzky himself emerges from the cracked insides of a of a Stanley Cup? Don't tell wouldn't me that's still Wouldn't alive. it be Lord Stanley? Lord Stanley. Not Gretzky. Gretzky's... The CEO of hockey is Lord Stanley. No. Yeah, oh, well, you. Well, I mean, this, he's kind of got a trophy named after him. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> but, yeah, so, well, so no. So the Prince of Wales. Does that make him good? Like, can you, can you, can you expect a... Uh... I mean, he would probably come out of his own trophy, but I would assume St- Lord Stanley's essence would come about through his... <laughs> This is this is getting way too deep for uh, talk about trophies. Maybe maybe Nick was right. Maybe we shouldn't talk about (laughs) hockey on air because we 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 do like black ops zombies type lore. This is what happens when this is what happens when you stick Floridians in a room and force them to talk about hockey. So, (laughs) but yeah, it's just not as God intended. No, exactly. No, this is the Canadians are uh, spitting out their Tim bits and (laughs) spitting out their uh, Tim Hortons coffee, but. I think that's all. So the Tallahassee, what were they? The Threshers? The Sharks, Tiger Sharks. Tiger Sharks. Tallahassee Tiger Sharks, former, uh, I think, a Southeastern Hockey League team, that minor league team that uh, played in the Tucker Center a long time ago. But that's not the point. The point is, that's all for this episode of Tomahawk Talk. That was one heck of an ending to this show. Probably the most chaotic one we've had in a long time. But thank you for listening. For myself, for Austin, for Sebastian, for Max, and for Scott tweeting out at home. And again, thank you for listening to this episode of Tomahawk Talk. We'll be back next week. Until then, stay positive, test negative. You got it right.